Merry Christmas, everybody. A little early. Oh, that was terrible. I don't, I'm not feeling very merry about that. What, what's it? Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Um, if, if you've been around here for a while, you'll know that I used to be a, a confirmed uh, Grinch. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, I'm not anymore. I love Christmas. Uh, it's an exciting time of the year, and I love to celebrate it with you and, and with family. With that, uh, I want to remind you that uh, tomorrow night, Christmas Eve, 6.30 p.m., we'll be here uh, with our traditional Christmas Eve service, traditional for us, which includes lots of uh, singing, uh, some of the uh, Christmas carols. It'll be all Christmas carols tomorrow night. Um, some multimedia that we like to use, uh, a couple of our favorites from over the years that talk about Christmas and the Christmas story. And then uh, we have an opportunity for Charlie Brown, uh, Linus, to tell us the Christmas story because uh, we can't tell it any better. And uh, then we'll close the service with our traditional singing of Silent Night, Holy Night, and uh, Candlelight Service. And it is always just, it's a great time. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, it's special. Uh, so I hope that you'll be here. Join us for that. Everybody's welcome. Uh, we'll have supplies for everybody, and uh, it'll be a good time, all right? And this morning, just in a few brief moments, because uh, we're going to sing some more before we go today, amen? I love singing. Uh, but I want to share with you the last of our Advent series. Uh, now, Advent, if, if you're not familiar, Advent is, is the season that comes, it leads up to the celebration day of Christmas. And actually, in in, uh, at Christ Community Church for a number of years, we have um, embargoed Christmas music until the Christmas Eve service on a number of occasions as we've celebrated uh, Advent, as we've reflected on Advent. Because the idea of Advent is that something is on the horizon but has not yet arrived. And in this case, we're talking about the Messiah as those who waited and prayed and labored and begged God for relief, both in their physical circumstances and their spiritual circumstances, prayed for the Messiah to come. And uh, so uh, there was a, uh, we shared here several weeks ago about some of the Psalms of Lamentations, where uh, the psalmist was crying out to God for uh, that relief and for that salvation that they, they hadn't yet seen through the Messiah. And then we see the story in the Gospels of when uh, Jesus arrives, God clothed in human flesh. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we see this picture of Jesus Christ. He's God clothed in human flesh, walking among us, bringing the salvation of God to everyone who will believe. And uh, then Christmas as we celebrate it today, celebrates that arrival. Uh, but this year we uh, felt more Christmassy, and so over the last few weeks we've been singing Christmas songs together. We had our Christmas uh, program from our kids last week, which was fantastic. If you were here, I know you had a great time with that. Amen? It was a good time. And, of course, we sang a couple of those songs this morning. But one song that we have definitely put on the Do Not Sing Until Tomorrow list has been Silent Night. Uh, this year is the 200th anniversary of the song uh, Silent Night since it was written. And uh, it has become, I think, probably the, I mean, it's the Christmas carol, right? I mean, it, it, it outpaces perhaps any other uh, Christmas carol or Christmas song 
that's out there, except for maybe, uh, what's that Mariah Carey song? What is it? Uh, what's, who said last Christmas? Was that <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think so. No. Um, I'm pretty sure Silent Night takes the cake on that one. Um, and each week we've been uh, working through the, the, some of the verses, as well as the four themes of Advent. And today our theme is hope. And so let me just uh, read these words for you. We haven't even allowed the melody of Silent Night to be played in our services in the last few weeks, because we're saving it for tomorrow. And if you want to sing it together, you get to come tomorrow, okay? So, Silent Night, Holy Night, Wondrous star, lend thy light. With the angels, let us sing Alleluia to our King. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. We, we just put in our, some of our new wireless mics in the last few weeks, and we're still working out some of the kinks, so Lord help us. Um, do you want me to go to a different mic? Do you know, can you see where that's coming from? No. Perfect. Hey, whatever that was, did you do something or it just went away? Perfect. All right, so some of the things that we take from this verse of Silent Night, actually the one thing I want to focus on, it, it's great that there's, uh, in fact, I don't know if you've seen, is, I think it's Jupiter out in the eastern sky incredible these last few weeks, so bright. I love it when that happens at this time of year because it sort of gives me an idea of maybe that star in the east that the wise men were following. Um, and so we see that, wonder star, lend thy light. And we're gonna sing, it says, with the angels, we're going to acknowledge who Jesus is. And that line is, let us sing alleluia to our king. Now we see this in scripture where uh, in Matthew chapter 2, we see the story. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, magi, or wise men, came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled. And so they've asked, where is this king of the Jews that we've heard about? And the, the king of the region, the king of the nation, was bothered by this because kings don't like to be challenged in who they are. It was actually a dangerous thing to say that at the time, right? To say that there might be another king. And in fact, we see in the story later where the king tries to go out and kill Jesus by killing the firstborn sons, the sons that are born in that period, uh, to try and kill this challenge to his throne. But even as we think of Jesus as a king, he, he really comes as a different kind of king. Because, see, he didn't come with, with, with luxury. He didn't come with, with power and, and a sword sweeping in to wipe out the enemies of his people. We see him in this Christmas story. We see him in this lowly manger. We see him in this stable we see him with a, a young couple who have been socially outcast because, because Mary has been found with child before she was even married to Joseph. And then Joseph becomes a social outcast because he's 
allowed himself to take on a woman who's become pregnant before they're even married, and he knows the baby isn't his. But they both believe the angel of the Lord that this is a miraculous event, that God has ordained this, that Jesus is to be born and he will be the Messiah. But instead of coming with fanfare and with parties and with a great announcement, other than we get this great announcement of the angels to the shepherds, again, a lowly people. And this theme begins to emerge, right? So here's the shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks by night, as it says. And the host of heaven comes and tells them, behold, born to you this day in the city of David is a savior who is Christ the king. And the angels don't go and announce it to the heads of power or, or to the politicians or even to the king. They announce it to the guys who are out there working all night long, out in the cold, away from their families, just out there trying to scrabble together a living by watching the sheep. That's where they make their announcement. And this theme begins to come through about the lowly. Psalm 42.11 says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope is an interesting thing. You know, we find uh, in another place in the New Testament, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13.13 says, uh, that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love abide, these things. But the greatest of these is love. And you've probably heard that passage uh, spoken of before. You've heard it preached a number of times probably. And I have to say that even in my own experience, we will look at this and we'll, we'll focus on love because chapter 13 of Corinthians is the love chapter. Um, it tells everything about what love is like and what love isn't like, right? It tells us that that true love isn't angry, um, it doesn't easily take offense, it, uh, true love always uh, stands, it always stays, it's faithful, it's true, it never gives up. And we love that part, and, and you know, almost every wedding you've ever been to uh, quotes that. But faith and hope sort of get pushed to the edges out of this. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. We go, okay, let's focus on that. And yet we have these great... Uh, passages of scripture about faith in the Bible. We have these stories about great heroes of the faith in the Bible. And then we have this idea of hope. And what is hope and how does it manifest itself? And the psalmist says, hope in God. And I would suggest to you that if you're putting your hope in anything else, you're on the wrong track. If you're, if you're putting your faith in your religion right here, you're, you're gathered here and you're thinking, well, I showed up for church. This is good. This, this puts me okay with God. You're on the wrong track. If, if you put your hope in the good works that you're doing in the world, they're wonderful things and they're good things to do. But we've talked about this before. Even unrighteous people can do good things, right? If you're putting your hope in... Uh, how good of a person you are, just the way that you think and the way that you are and the way that you treat others. Those are all good things, but you're on the wrong track. Because ultimately the only place, the, the only one, the, the only person who is worthy of us to place our hope in 
and who has the power to give us what we hope for, which in this context, we're talking about that hope for eternal life. We're talking about that hope for purpose in the life that we're living now. The only one who deserves that hope and who can give us those things that every human really craves and desires at their inner core is God Almighty. If we're putting our trust and our hope in anything or anyone else, we're on the wrong track. And the thing that we really wrestle with, especially in Western society, is that if we're accomplished in the things that we do, you know, uh, we've uh, made a lot of money, we've excelled at our job and, and been uh, promoted really well, um, we have a talent or a gift that we're really good at, uh, something that other people recognize and, and, and they look at us and go, wow, you're so good at that, that's really great. Or um, we found a way to be successful in facilitating uh, some of those good works that we can do in the world we have a tendency to begin to rely on those and to say, well, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm not bad. If I'm not bad, then maybe that means I'm okay as far as God is concerned. But this is a, it's a, it's a subtle but dangerous path for us to take. Because ultimately what we're saying when we do that, if we're relying on our status in the world, if we're, if we're relying on the things that we've achieved because we're checking off a list of good works or we're checking off a list of how we conform to what other people think as opposed to what God tells us to do, then ultimately what we've said is we are the judges of whether we're okay with God. And I don't know about you, but it, it, there are times in my life where it's easy for me to rationalize whether I'm okay with God. If I'm basing it on my opinion, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. But if I line it up with what God wants out of me and what God wants to happen in my life, maybe not so much. And so this word lowly comes into play. This king who didn't come for the seats of power this king who didn't come with uh, a great army behind him, this king who didn't sweep in and, and knock the pillars of society off of their pedestals, but instead he came to that lowly place in a lowly manner, the most vulnerable of all human conditions, an infant child. And he came to the lowliest of people. There's this... Uh, modern theologian, his name's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He uh, died in 1945 about, he died in a, a Nazi concentration camp just a few weeks before the end of World War II. He was a German pastor, theologian, and, and very much anti-Nazi. And that's what put him in the camp. Um, some of his books like uh, The Cost of Discipleship uh, life together. Uh, if you're looking for something to read about the Christian life and what it really looks like, I'd recommend those. They're fantastic. But he had this to say about this king, Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He said, he takes what is little and lowly and makes it marvelous. 
And that is the wonder of all wonders. God loves the lowly. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. No powerful person dares to approach the manger. And this even includes King Herod. For at the manger is where earthly thrones shake, the mighty fall, the prominent perish, because God is with the lowly. We do this sometimes here when, when we're teaching. We'll say, well, let's flip that around the other direction and say, if God is with the lowly, then who is he not with? We could sum that in, in one word. He's not with the proud. He's not with the self-important. He's not with those who judge themselves and others by the way they dress, by the way they look, by the way they behave, by the, uh, the words necessarily that come out of their mouth, by the way their lives look. Because those who put their stock and hope in those things... Uh, in fact, the Bible talks about it. It says, those, those who put their stock in those kinds of things, the Bible says, when they get praised and when people go, oh, you're so awesome, you're so great, the Bible says they've gotten everything they're going to get. They've received all the reward that they're going to receive. But those who are lowly, those who know that they're lowly, they can come to the manger because the king is lowly in the manger. He wants them there. The rich come to nothing at the edge of the manger because God is with the poor and the hungry. And the rich and the satisfied he sends away. Before Mary, this maiden, before the manger of Christ, before God in lowliness, the powerful come to nothing. They have no rights. They have no hope because they're already judged as receiving everything that they've desired. This means, of course, that, that as any of us come to the throne or come to the manger, we're all judged. Uh, we might be convicted of our indifference to the needs of others. Uh, we might just be stuck with our own, uh, you ever, like, uh, echo chamber? You ever hear that phrase, echo chamber? It's when a bunch of people get together and they all agree about the same thing and they just talk about the same thing and they all pat each other on the back and say, yeah, we're all right. But outside of them are the needs and the problems and the disasters of the world and there's a whole conversation happening outside of that echo chamber that they know nothing about. But inside, they're just completely convinced that, that everything is cool, everything's good. It's a dangerous place to be. Just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that all of our ideas are wrong and what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light because it comes from God. It's our eyes that are at fault. It's what we see instead of seeing with our spirit. But God... God is in the manger, wealth in poverty. There is light in the darkness. There is comfort 
and abandonment. This hope tells us that no evil can befall us that God cannot remedy. Whatever others may do to us, in even so doing, they're still serving the God who loves us, the lowly, because the Bible tells us that even to be persecuted is to be blessed. In our Christian worldview, this, this hope, this hope that was, was walled off from the world until the Messiah came, that, that door has been, has been kicked wide open by the incarnation, the clothing of God in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, who somehow almighty God becomes a defenseless child, becomes a refugee, a, a teacher of what is good, in, in himself a victim of injustice. He's lonely. He gets tired. He has doubts. And he faces a humiliating death. A God who strangely, paradoxically, felt abandoned by God at the very end. And this is just the kind of God that we need. Because that makes him one who understands all of the things that we suffer with and struggle with in this life. Being powerless, defenseless, lonely, having doubts, wrestling with death. God coming in this way, in the person of Jesus Christ, this babe in the straw, becomes a God who is on our side. A God who knows us and knows our suffering. And in that kind of a God, I can have hope. That this struggle is not the end. That this circumstance is not all there is. Bonhoeffer says finally, he says, ultimately God wants to always be with us wherever we may be. Through our sins, in our suffering, at the hour of our death. That's a message that we've been speaking here for uh, a, a long time now. I, I, I've said it to you so many times, I'll say it again this morning. I hope you're not bored, but I think it's the most foundational truth of the gospel is that what God promises us more than anything is simply that no matter what's happening, he will be with you. He's not going to solve every problem. He's not going to take away every pain. He's not going to protect you from every heartbreak. He can't. This life has struggle. But he will never, ever forsake you. No matter what you're dealing with. And that, my friends, that's the foundation of hope.
What else in this world can give you that promise? Friends, there's nothing. The greatest person you know still makes mistakes. Uh, the job that you've had for so long and they love you tomorrow, maybe not so much. If you checked your 401ks this last week, not the stock market. Jesus. King of kings, from his lowly manger says to you, I will always be with you. And so I ask you this morning to, to judge in your own life, where is your hope placed? What are you hoping in? Who are you hoping in? Who are you asking to be that person, and, and Jesus is a person to us. Who are you asking to be in that place in your life? It could be someone or something else. It could be yourself. But if it's anyone other than Jesus, your hope is placed in the wrong, the wrong place. We're going to sing together some more. I'm going to ask Tyler to come. Let me pray for us. Lord, I know for myself these past couple of weeks, man, they've been so busy. A little crazy. Sometimes overwhelming. I'm thankful for this little space and time to just breathe reflect Lord whatever the activities are in of our next couple of days or over this next week what I know that those will be uh, there'll be lots of fun and, and celebration and, and enjoyment and Lord I know that there are also those who struggle because maybe they don't have some of those things uh, happening in their lives. But this is the message of the gospel that you've given us, that we should be careful. We should be careful to not let our needs, our true needs be masked by great celebration and great happiness and, and gift giving and, and all of those things and, and nor should we allow our great and deepest need to be masked by our sadness or our loneliness. But Lord, we should acknowledge our great and deepest need which is to be known by you and for you to be with us. And so Lord, whatever our place is, I pray that we will each one of us welcome you in. To place our hope in you. And in you alone. In Jesus' name.